We are going to continue in Acts chapter... We're in the very end of chapter 15. Tonight's sermon is called, God Works in and Around the Imperfect. Our series is called, The Works of God Through His People, right? We're going through the Acts of the Apostles, which just means the works of the sent ones. So, the works of God through His people. That's what we're studying through the book of Acts. So tonight we're going to be looking at how God works in and around the imperfect. Obviously, his people, us, like, we're not perfect, so that's one sort of truth there that he works in and around us. And that's one of the, the three reminders just before we get into tonight is that some things that we've talked about that are sort of pertinent to what we're going to be talking about tonight is that God loves unity. Uh, he hates discord among brethren. And he chooses to work in and through us, his people. So just keep those things in mind as we as we get into, uh, especially this last part of chapter 15. We're in verse 36. If you remember, they uh, just wrapped up this long dispute, and Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch, which is where there's a big Christian community. It's where the word Christian was first applied to people who had faith in Jesus and there's like, that's kind of like their home base, Paul and Barnabas. So they're back there and in verse 36 it says Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So they're getting ready to embark on their second missions trip. Again, if you guys have a Bible, probably has a map in the back of the missionary trips. So if you see the first missionary trip, this is their plan to just go the same places that they went during their first missionary trip and just see how everybody's doing, continue the discipleship, continue pouring into the people that they had already preached to. And uh, Paul wants to go to how many cities? Every city, he said. Every city that we preach to. That's the original plan of this second missionary trip. And verse 37 says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now if you remember this guy, Mark, he is the guy who's attributed to writing the Gospel of Mark. And he went with them for part of the first missionary trip. And verse 38 says, But Paul insisted that they should not take with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So there's sort of two reasons that I could think of why Paul is, is saying, no, we shouldn't take this, guys. One is Mark didn't experience the persecution that Paul and Barnabas did. He doesn't really know what he's signing up for. He hears about it and he's sort of like making it this thing, but like it's a tough area that they're going to. So Paul's probably like, look, he didn't stick it out with us. He didn't see the worst of it. We should not take this guy. The second thing is, he just left them last time. Like, And we don't really know why he left, but it just says, and he decided to go back to Jerusalem. And so the question is like, is he just going to do the same thing this time? Is he trustworthy? Is he faithful? Is he going to stick it out? Or is he just going to be someone who we think we can count on? And then halfway through, he's like, I want to go home. So it's like this, this thing that Paul's just like, no, we're not going to take this guy. He already kind of stuck it to us last time. Like, we're not taking him. So verse 39, it says, Then the contention became so sharp 
that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here we see an unfortunate thing takes place. It's a, it's an imperfect thing, right? God works in and through the imperfect. And these two friends, they're like, man, they've been through so much together. Barnabas has like been encouragement to Paul since he became a Christian. He's been like right there with them. And these guys are like best friends. And it's like this sort of sad moment where it's like they have this weird argument and then they just split from each other. And it's like, we're out of here. I'm like, done. And we don't hear from Barnabas anymore through Acts and even the rest of the Bible. Like, he's out of the picture. And it's just like, man, that's such a, a bummer. Like, the son of encouragement. Like, we've loved this guy so much. And now it's like, okay, they just have this argument and it's and it's done. And what we don't need to do is to, to look at, like, where the blame lies, right? We talked about disputing and how to, like how not to quarrel and all of these things, right? So we don't need to say like, oh, who started the argument? How did this go? What I want to focus on is that sometimes in life, disagreements just happen. People are complicated and friend friendships, they change and they shift and sometimes they end. And sometimes it's over a stupid argument. Sometimes it's over a small thing like this guy should go. No, he shouldn't. And it just grows into, sometimes you don't even remember what the argument was, but friendships, they shift, they change, and they end. What's up, Dustin? We are in the end of uh, Acts chapter 15. Yeah. So, God does not want his people to quarrel or to separate. We've talked about this a few times throughout this series. He doesn't want Christians to quarrel and bicker and fight. He doesn't want them to to depart from one another. He loves unity within the church. He hates discord among brethren. So we know that this contention was not orchestrated by God. And I bring this up because I've heard it taught that way. This exact passage and people will say like, oh, like God caused this thing to happen for a a good purpose. But it's clear that that's not the case. Um, Again, because Proverbs 6 says that God hates one who sows discord among brethren. So God doesn't hate himself. If, if he was the one who was sowing the discord between brethren, that's, that's something evil. That's something that he hates. It's not something that God would do. He is perfect. He is good. He is right. So uh, this isn't what God wants for his two of his people to get in this weird argument and just like, yeah, forget you, I'm out of here. This is our sort of focus tonight, right? That these things happen, these imperfect things happen, and it's sort of an exciting truth. The faithfulness of God is, is an exciting thing because things imperfect happen in and around life all the time, and what we can do is just realize that God is there for us. God is taking care of the situation. He is always faithful, right? We read in Second Timothy a few weeks back that if we are faithless, then he remains faithful. Like, God is always faithful. Romans says, let God be true and every man a liar. Like, we are the ones that fail. We are the faithless ones. We are the ones that are constantly sinning and letting people down, letting God down, and he is always steady. He is always faithful. So when these imperfect things happen, we can, we can lean on him because he's perfect. He's good. He's faithful 
all the time. Like, without fail, he is always good and right and faithful. But that doesn't mean that his people are perfect or always faithful or good. We, we fail. We're not, we're not glorified yet. Some people will say, like, oh, you're exactly the way God meant you, meant you to be. And it's like, I am, by the grace of God, getting there, but I am <laughs> not perfect. I, God did not make me perfect. I am a work in progress. I'm not there yet. Right? So I'm not the person God wants me to be yet. I'm constantly growing into that person who he wants me to be. Right? Sometimes we let our friends down. And sometimes, like, even our best friends are not the best friends. Like, sometimes our best friends are straight up bad friends. Uh, and it hurts, right? And it sucks and it's, it's rough. And as Christians, we strive for perfection, right? Jesus said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Like, whoa, that's a, that's a high calling. We're going to fail at that. But that's what we strive for. We, we try and be we good. We, we try and stay faithful to our friends, to our wives, to God. We try and be forgiven. And we fight through those times where people let us down. And we fight through the times that we let people down. Because sometimes we, for, we don't forgive ourselves. Like, we let somebody else down and we're like, shoot. And we just beat ourselves up over that even though we repent God forgives us and we hold on to that shame. So it's a tough topic and these imperfect things like life is all about relationships, like our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, but it gets complicated sometimes and these these things blow up in our face. And ultimately what I want to say on this is when we lose a friend or a relationship ends, we need to trust that God will work through that situation. He's going to work in and, and through that situation as he does here in Acts, as we'll continue to read on. And something that uh, I just wanted to pop over quickly to Matthew 19, just on the same point, just to, to prove it to you, <laughs> that uh, God doesn't like when his people separate, but these things happen because we are imperfect, right? Uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 3, it says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? This question is still asked in the church. God answers it pretty plainly here, uh, but we continue to ask it and and have this discussion. Verse 4, Jesus says, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he made them at the beginning? This is going to get a little controversial here. God made them at the beginning. He made them male and female. Like, that's what we are. That's how it's created. Male, female, no in between. That's, uh, that's how God made us. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This sort of popular verse that's read in weddings all the time. Pastor Dave quoted this at Annie and I's wedding. He, he quoted the old King James, what, what God has joined together that no man tear asunder. It's kind of a, a cool way to, yeah, I know, it's a good word. Um, but this popular verse, and he's specifically talking about not separating from your wives. The Pharisees continue in verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, 
Jesus' answer here. He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And that's a big topic. We don't need to completely unpack that tonight, but it's complicated. Divorce is never easy. It's never straightforward. There's a lot that goes into that. And um, by the grace of God, we are to ask for wise counsel through these tough topics. But the reason that we're looking at that is because here we see Jesus saying, because of man's imperfection, he allows his people to do something that he actually hates. Malachi says, God hates divorce. The separating of two people who he has joined together is something that God hates, but he allows it because we are weak, right? So we see that even here going back to Acts, right? These two men, he, he doesn't want them to be separated, but they are bashing heads, and so they depart from one another. These two godly men, these people who are like the closest of friends, and they get in a fight and they split. So, again, this is not God's will. This is not God making this happen. It's not him pushing this thing on them. But notice what he does in this imperfect situation. The original plan, again, was for them, Paul and Barnabas, together, right, United, They would go to every city that they had preached to in the past, and they would go to encourage and continue to preach to them. Instead, Barnabas, uh, he takes the southern part of their previous trip. It said that he went to um, Cyprus there. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So if you do have that map, you can look. That's the southern part, that island that they first went to on their first missionary trip. That's the route he takes. And Paul takes the northern part of their first missionary trip and not only that he also goes much further and preaches to many new cities and a bunch more people believe right a ton of people come to know the lord because of this sort of separation of these two friends they don't go on the original plan they go on this other thing and this amazing thing happens a bunch more people come into the kingdom of god so what many say is like, see, like God had this thing planned all along. Like he orchestrated the whole thing. And it's like, uh, I am not comfortable with that kind of language. Or people will say, it, see, it couldn't have worked out any better. It's like, maybe it could have. Like, we don't know. Like, I'm not saying there's like some alternate reality. Like there's only one reality, but uh, maybe it could have been better if they would have been more forgiving or, or been more gracious to one another. And what I don't want you to do, what we can do is sort of get ourselves stuck in the what ifs. Oh, what if I didn't sin there? Or what if I didn't do that? Like my whole history might be different. My whole, you know, like everything could have changed if I just didn't do that one thing. You're going to get yourself stuck and you're going to drive yourself crazy. You can't live life like that. You got to kind of put stuff behind you and move forward and ask God to just give you wisdom through whatever situation you're going through. So I don't want you to get stuck in those what ifs. But I also want to live within reality. Like, I messed up. It was not God's will that I mess up. I need to deal with my mess up and move forward in that and pray that God can, can work it into something amazing. And God does all the time. Something bad is going to happen in your life, or maybe it already has happened. You're going to lose a friend. 
you, you got your heart broken. Someone is going to betray you or maybe has betrayed you. Someone maybe stole your innocence. Like someone sinned against you and you feel like you can't get back to the person you were. And it's like this deep, painful, wicked thing that happened in your life. And God keeps working is, is what I, I need you to hear. No matter what you go through, no matter what you hit, like, even if it's horrible, not just imperfect, but wicked and evil, like, God is still working. He continues to be faithful, even in the darkest time in your life. And I say this because a lot of the time people go through these really wicked things and really bad things, and then they're kind of like, oh, where is God? It was God's fault. He planned this whole thing. It's like, he can work this thing into good if you will let him. He will bring good out of bad. We've heard the verse a thousand times in Romans 8, 28. Like, God works all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? Like, he works all things together for good. And what we see that throughout history, but obviously that verse is talking about, like, ultimate glory. Like, everything's going to be okay in the end. doesn't mean, like, oh, everything's going to be perfect here and now, but... He works situations, really bad situations. Now, I've used this analogy before, but think of the worst thing that King David, the man after God's own heart, right? The worst thing he did was cheated with a woman who was married and had her husband killed and, like, impregnated her. And it's like, like, that's horrible. But the reason that he's called a man after God's own heart is because he saw the wicked he did, he repented of it, and he continued to live a righteous and godly life, even though he did this horribly wicked, bad thing. And when he repents, he says, God, against you alone have I sinned, right? And, and he pours his heart out. God ends up forgiving him. But what I'm talking, why I'm talking about this is because through Bathsheba, the woman who he did this wicked thing with, comes the, the line of Jesus. <laughs> like, Solomon is their son. And follow that line, and Jesus is born into history through a horrible thing that was not God's will. So God orchestrates, he doesn't, he doesn't orchestrate these things, but what he does is he takes imperfect things and he shapes them. He, again, going back to Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good. It doesn't say that he orchestrates all things to, and they're end up, they're gonna end up fine. He's working things, kinda like a, a, a potter and clay, right? Something, gets all fouled up and it falls over. The potter picks it up, pounds it back into a circle, and he starts all over. He's working that thing into good. Even the imperfect, even the wicked stuff, eventually it's all going to glorify God. And as we continue in Acts, we're going to see that God is going to continue working in and around uh, the imperfect. If we continue here in chapter 16, it says, Then he came to Derby and Lystra. This is where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Uh, an angry mob stoned him, dragged him out of the city and left him thinking that he was dead. The disciples come and pray for him. He rises up and continues his missionary trip. So he's back there to minister to the people who did believe in that city. Continuing in verse 1, it says, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, 
Yes, this is the Timothy who Paul later writes two letters to and later in the New Testament. It says, The son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, so he, he wants to take Timothy on this trip with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, just last week, they finished up this long dispute about do Christians need to follow the law and like all of this stuff, and the conclusion was no, like Christians don't have to be circumcised anymore. They don't have to follow all of the Jewish laws. And uh, this dispute was ended and concluded, and it was an encouragement to the Gentiles. And now we see that Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him. And it's just like, to me, it's like such a weird thing. It's like, you literally just finished this whole long dispute. Like, what is going on? And uh, what I'll say is, this is in order, it says, to be a good wit- a good witness. It's because of the Jews in that region. And I sort of see both sides of this. That it's, like so, it's like kind of frustrating to me, to be honest with you. Uh, but I also see what's going on. Like, to me, like, on a, a much less, like, serious level, I guess, but it's still pretty serious. Is uh, I've, I've heard of pastors who, they have a heart for something called Celebrate Recovery. It's for, it's for recovering addicts, alcoholism, drugs, all kinds of stuff. And there are these churches who have a really deep heart for recovering addicts. And I, I know of some pastors that they are not addicted to anything, but they will say, you know what? I'm going to be a better witness to my congregation if I just don't drink. So they just don't drink. They make that decision. They write that off. They don't have a conviction about it themselves. And maybe they like it. They like having a beer every now and then. But they write it off to be a good witness to their congregation. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good and that's a holy thing. That's awesome. Um, the other side of it for me is like, for me personally, right? Like, and this would be something in Timothy and Paul's ministry. It's going to be this incessant thing that always keeps coming. Like, oh, well, this guy is not circumcised. Like, oh, jeez, we got to deal with this <laughs> in every city we show up in. And so, like... Me personally, I, I've thought about this, like, about seminary, right? Like, if I don't go to seminary, that's going to be this constant, oh, where'd you go to seminary? Oh, you didn't go to seminary. Like, that's going to be this constant thing. And I'm not saying I'll never go to seminary, but it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. I don't feel called to do that right now. And I, I may never. And so part of me is like, why would I have to? Like, mm-hmm. I, that's not something that I have to do. And these churches wouldn't hire Peter uh, or Jesus if they walked in because they didn't go to the right seminary, didn't go to the right school, or were taught by the right guy, right? Um, so that's my frustration where it's just like, this is an unnecessary thing that you're going to make me do because fill in the blank, right? So I see both sides of this doing this sort of unnecessary thing in order to be a good witness or in order to not have this incessant questioning always about your ministry, and I will say that I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the conclusion is. I don't know why he did this, and I don't, I don't know if it was necessary. 
but he didn't. So we're going to move on. I'll let you guys pray and study about that a little bit more. I, I thought it was interesting. And again, we're talking about sort of God working in the imperfect. And to me, this is like an imperfect situation. Like, why? Why? You just finished saying this isn't, you don't have to do this. And now you're doing this thing. So I thought it was interesting to, to point that out. But continuing in verse 4, it says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in number daily. So Paul is bringing this, the conclusion of this dispute to all these Gentiles. He's continuing to say, hey, this is what we concluded, even though he just did this thing, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. But he, um, letting all the believers know the conclusion of that dispute and it was encouraging them greatly. They didn't feel the, the weight, the burden of, like, we have to keep the whole law. He and his company, though, I will say this, he's holding them and himself to a higher standard, as all preachers really should. Like, if you're a, a leader in the church at all, like, you need to hold yourself to a higher standard. And I believe that that's what he's doing here with Timothy, with circumcising. It's like, yeah, he's not saying everybody needs to be circumcised and follow the whole law. But he's like, this, we need to be held at a higher standard because we're going to be witnessing to Jews and through that to the Gentiles. So let's just keep our ministry strong in that way. So we're going to turn a corner here and teach, talking about God working in and around the imperfect. We're going to see some imperfect planning that God works around. Verse 6 says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Some of your Bibles would say the Spirit of Jesus. This is mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit preventing them from carrying out their well-thought-out plans. The, the Holy Spirit showing up and be like, nope, don't do that. Now, I want to say, Max, you and I have talked about this. Plans are a very good and godly thing. But we need to stay flexible to what God has planned. Right? Like, it's a good thing to, like, make plans and try and carry those things out. Especially if you're doing good and godly things. It's a good thing to plan things. But we need to stay flexible when those plans aren't the same as God's. Right? And, and be able to bend to that. Now, if you knew me when I was younger, which some of you did you might be laughing a little bit because my one of my favorite quotes when I was younger was, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. And my point was, your plans are never going to work out, so why even make one? Um, just fly by the seat of your pants, you know, try and do what God wants, but, like, you don't need, like, your five-year plan, your ten-year plan, and all this stuff. Like, didn't believe in it, didn't think it was any value in it, and it's just not the way I live my life. Um, I married Annie, <laughs> and if you know anything about Annie, she is a planner. She loves to plan. She uh, makes lists and then lists about the lists. And then uh, she loves checking every little thing off. She loves planning. And I started to see the value of the thing. And, and the things that we would plan together always went a little bit better. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, and now I make lists and I make plans. And I, and I see that there's a great uh, value in planning, and I see that God is, he's a planner, he, he is a God of systems, he, he made the solar system, the nerve system, he, he has 
very intricate plans that he lays out in front of his people. Here's how history is going to play out. And then that exact thing happens. God is a great planner. He is a God of planning. He likes when we make plans. And Paul later in one of his letters, he will say that he carefully and prayerfully makes plans for each one of his missions trips. Like he, he says, like, did I not pray about doing this thing and about coming to see you? Like, this has been a plan in, in my heart and like I'm praying about this and the spirit is leading me to do this thing. So every missions trip he goes on, this is an important part of, of how Paul does things. So Paul continues to make plans, even though here we see that they're going to shift and they're going to change. But when God shifts those plans, you better be on board for how he's shifting them. Because sometimes people really try and hold on. Oh, no, this is what's my plan. And they try and make God do what they want. And it's just never going to work out. Or it's just going to be really painful for you. And you're not going to hear the voice of God. It's just going to like, you're just going to be worshiping your plans at that point. Instead of the God who made you. So the spirit does not allow them to go into this province of Asia that was owned by Rome at the time. They, they tried to go to Bithynia. The Spirit does not permit them to, to go in there. Verse 8 says, So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is God's plan revealed. What's happening is the Spirit is preventing to them to, to move forward with their plans, and they're kind of like, what's going on? They're praying about it. You know that's happening. And God shows up, and he gives this vision to Paul in the night. And so in verse 10, it says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas... We ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Did anyone notice an interesting shift in the language here? We I know. Going back to the first week of this series, I said that this was going to happen about halfway through Acts. They were going to get to Troas, and the language was going to shift and change here. If you notice, yeah, all through Acts, it's even here in verse 4, they went through these cities, right? Uh, they went here, they went there, all throughout Acts. And then here we get to this, and it says, we did this thing. So, Luke is on the scene. Luke teams up with Paul and Silas and Timothy and the rest of the company, and they are in or, or Luke lives in or around Troas. Like he is in that area, so he's now a part of their company. And the interesting thing here is that God worked around Paul's plans, his travel plans, right? The plans for his missions trip, and he shifted things slightly and he brought him to meet the writer of this book and the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And this wouldn't have happened if Paul didn't make that plan. This is why I'm never going to discourage planning and why I'm going to try and encourage people to yeah, make plans and like try and carry them out to the glory of God. Because uh, if Paul was not, if he didn't make a plan and then try and carry that plan out, 
then God would not have revealed his own plan to Paul and, and, and brought him to meet Luke and do all these other things, which shifted and changed, right? God revealed himself and it shifted and changed Paul's plan. And sometimes we have a specific idea in mind, but God might have something close, but a little bit better, right? And if you guys remember, um, YWAM Long Beach, when Andy and I first bought this place, Andy saw the building next door and the the apartment building. It's like, I think there's like 10 or 12 apartments. There's like a cool little courtyard. And she's, she was like, man, this would be perfect for YWAM Long Beach. And so ever since we bought this place, we've been praying for that building for YWAM Long Beach. And one week on a Wednesday night when it was still at Pastor Dave's house, Johnny was talking about like, man, we're getting a little discouraged. We're praying about housing. They were like living, I think, with Pastor Dave at that time. And he's like, yeah, like if we could pray about that. So that night I told him, hey, we're actually praying about this building. And so we as a group, we all prayed for YWAM Long Beach and that building. Well, a week later, they didn't have any plans or knowledge of this, but Nina's parents said, hey, like, we want you guys to move into this house, which they live right around the corner now. And so it's this really cool thing where it's like, we were praying for this, right? But God had something close and a little bit better. Now they have a house and a house in the back and YWAM Long Beach is being run out of that place. It's, it's a ministry that God has his hand on and that we all prayed for here, but it's like close, but just a, a little <laughs> bit different. And just yesterday I was listening to... Uh, a sermon and one of the things that he said was to follow the compass not the clock mm. right so follow the direction that God, God puts you on and don't worry so much about your timeline or even the timeline that you think that God has you on because that's going to shift and that's going to change and you're going to blow up because it's like ah my timeline it's not working my plans aren't the just keep on the direction that God has set you on and know that God is faithful and it's all gonna it's all gonna work out. So follow the compass, not the clock. So Luke is on the scene, and we are in Philippi here. If we continue in verse thirteen, on the Sabbath day, uh, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So this seemingly small group of women, they met every Sabbath for prayer by the river, probably gathering water for their household or for their area. And they would all gather and they would pray. And this tiny little gathering, right? It's not even, normally they go to a big city, they walk into the synagogue, they preach this thing, it gets a lot of attention, and that's how they've been doing their ministry. They go to this little, the Bible calls it a, a colony here, this small colony in Macedonia. And there's just this little prayer group by a river, is this tiny little thing, right? But that tiny little thing, it turns into a super strong and faithful church that Paul like pours out his affection to later. Like Philippians chapter one, 
is so filled with like affection and love and prayer that like it's it's commonly used by guys who are like trying to like get in with a Christian girl like oh this verse is our verse like yeah you know it's it's very like affectionate it's very much like I love you I pray for you every day like it's a really beautiful passage but he writes to the to the Philippians later and this is who he's writing to and it starts with this tiny little group that's in the like corner of Macedonia and Paul never would have met these people if he had not gone to this little colony and if he had not made a plan and then tried to stick that to that plan but then let God alter it right if he didn't let God alter that plan he never would have met these people this church never would have been started and so again our our theme for tonight are these two things God works in and through horrible situations to turn them into glory for himself. And he works around our imperfect plans to guide us into his perfect plan. He works in and through horrible situations to turn it into glory for himself. So we need to uh, give those who sin against us, we, we need to work on forgiving those people. right? Give them a little bit of grace or let go of the shame that you're holding on to for sinning against somebody else. If God has already forgiven you, if you've already repented and God has already made that right, then don't hold on to that shame and sort of drown yourself in it. Let that terrible thing glorify God by helping someone else who's going through a similar hell. Sometimes we go through these really weird things and you're like, man, I don't know, this is never going to be good. But then God will bring you to somebody and they will have gone through a, the same or a similar thing and you're like, man, I, I can minister to this person because I, I actually know what they're feeling. And he, he works around our imperfect plans to guide us into his perfect one. So we need to make plans to the glory of God and try to carry those plans out. But we need to follow the compass and not the clock. Not get so wound up in our timeline and our plans but know that, okay, this is a direction that God wants me to, to look at. Because, again, this second, I don't think I said this, but uh, this second missionary trip, it's different from the first in that the first one says, the Holy Spirit said, Paul and Barnabas need to go on this mission trip. They were, I mean, they were sent by God to do this thing. This one is, Paul is like, we should do this thing. And they make a really good decision to do this really cool thing, right? But it's their decision. It's not like this... God moment where he's sending them to this thing. So he makes this plan, God alters it, and then the Holy Spirit says, actually, go here. So they're doing the right thing. They're following the compass. They're following what the Holy Spirit has already told them to do, right? And in that, they let the the planning get shifted because God's got something better for them to do. If, uh, if God shows up to change your plan, we need to submit to that. We need to yield to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and not hold on to our plans. They, even though we, we did them prayerfully and carefully, we need to say, all right, God, if you're shifting, if you're changing, like I'm going to follow you because better things will come from that. So we'll stop there tonight. Um, I'll close in prayer and we can have some cookies. <laughs> Dear God, we, uh, we love you and praise you and I thank you so much for working in and through and around imperfect people and things and situations, God. I pray that you will bring healing to us 
if there is that thing that is deep within us, that whether somebody sinned against us or if we are just holding on to a sin that we have done against someone else, God, I pray that you will not only forgive us, but God, heal us from that that pain um, that, that came from that sin, God. I pray that you will mend uh, our broken hearts, that you will heal our wounds and just forgive and and remove our shame, God. We love you and we praise you, and I pray that you will be with us as we make plans to your glory, whether it be in our personal everyday lives or whether it be in a specific ministry that you have us doing, God. But I pray that you will be with us in those plans and also help us to yield to you when you show up to change those plans. We love you. And we praise you, and I pray that you bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.